Hello, and welcome to Champion Casters, a podcast about heroes and craft, where we analyze the motifs and themes behind your favorite film and television heroes, and everything we say is in Comic Sans. My name is Joe Tomlin. And my name is Michael Ruiz. And we are your hosts for this episode. Now, Michael, I have a very contentious and complicated, sophisticated, nuanced question to ask you. Yes. Who's your favorite film, Spider-Man? Oh my goodness. Who's my favorite film, Spider-Man? Yeah, your favorite actor to portray your favorite superhero. It's a, And I'm assuming it's a cop-out answer to say I like different ones for different reasons? Yup. <laughs> um... And um, we are going to to not include in this list Jake Johnson and Shamik Moore. Um, I know because that's also a cop out answer because yes. I would I think we both would agree in, into the Spider Verse is our favorite. Yes. So I'm talking about live action Spider People. Yes. You know I guess I just have to say I you know I don't want to I don't want to say him just because of the nostalgia associated with him but I'll I'll guess I'll just have to say. I'll have to say Spidey McGuire as a version of Spider-Man that I really like on the screen. Doesn't mean I, I dislike, like I said, different reasons for different uh, different strokes, different folks, of course. But I guess if like, you know, gun to my head. Yeah, I guess I would say Spidey McGuire. Yeah, this, you know, um, you sound so nervous as you're giving this answer. <laughs> it's it's because you feel like even though we have we don't have a very large listener base at this point, but mm-hmm. you feel like somebody is finally going to come out of the woodworks to email us and and threaten us with death because oh, we didn't yeah. pick their favorite Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. There's just a like a little bit of a Gar, uh, Andrew Garfield fan club that's just there just to be like, you know what? Time to write my like op-ed about <laughs> about fucking champion casters, Michael and Joe. Fuck those motherfuckers. <laughs> they fucking slept on my boy Andrew Garfield. And when, you know what? I you know in terms of actors portraying um portraying Spider-Man, he's my favorite actor. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like Andrew Garfield as a person a lot. And I I still get chills when I see that video of him at Comic-Con revealing to the audience that he was Spider-Man. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's wearing, you know, literally the, the costume that you could, the $10 costume you could buy, like a, a mm-hmm. Spirit Halloween. Mm-hmm. Definitely not $10, but you know what I mean. And yeah, yeah I mean, like, he's had so much love and enthusiasm for the character. It, it, it was infectious. You could see it on the screen. Now... That being said, I'm going to agree with you. I think Tobey Maguire, um, the way in which that character was written is probably the one that appeals to me the most. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that I dislike the other two. Mm -hmm. I actually like all three of them, like we mentioned earlier, for different reasons. Now, this is not an episode where we gush about Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. We actually did that in a previous incarnation of this podcast, and you can check that out. Just scroll up. But... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if you want to stick around, we're going to be talking about Tom Hall in this episode, because why are we talking about Tom Hall, Michael? Because the new trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home literally dropped like two days ago, I think Monday night. And mm-hmm. I remember texting you, Joe, as we were both watching it and being like, well, now we have to talk about Spider-Holland, right? We've been meaning to talk about specifically the MCU's and MCU's incarnation of Spider-Man for a while now. And this felt mm-hmm. like we was just handed to us. It the, yeah. you know, On a Monday, gave us still time to watch uh, Far From Home on a Tuesday, and so to record on a Wednesday, right? Yep. Now, <laughs> um, that that is the behind-the-scenes process of how this came about. But what really happened, and the real heroes have to be um, all the Spider-Man fanboys who uh, bullied oh, <laughs> the, yeah. the Marvel and Sony staff into yeah. <laughs> ruthless, cruel, abhorrent little trolls. <laughs> the scum mm-hmm. of humanity constantly berating and harassing the people behind this film mm-hmm. um, to the point that someone internally decided to leak it on fucking TikTok. And yes. guess what? What they leaked on TikTok is not what we saw on Monday. No. No. Um, they had to literally change it so they could have some finished footage. Mm-hmm. But um, that that whole situation aside, we are very excited to talk about Tom Holland Spider-Man. There's a lot of controversy around this particular incarnation of Spider-Man, especially people who are Tobey Maguire Spider-Man stands. Mm-hmm. Which we are not. So 
Yeah, like this is gonna be a fun conversation. Yeah, toxic fans will always be toxic fans, and that it's like this type of fandom is not unique to Spider-Man. See, we're also big Star Wars fans. But like, you know, this this type of stuff happens all over the place. That doesn't make it excusable, but it is very much like a topical conversation for uh, a different set of research that we're not going to be doing today. <laughs> yes. And so in that way, we are going to be like, as Joe said, we're going to be talking about specifically this incarnation. We're going to be using Far From Home as our our case study, just because I feel like with that movie is a better rendition of what people do and don't like about Spider-Holland. And Spider-Holland being defined by Tom Holland playing Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And so that's why we chose this movie. So it's go and which is like of course going to be in conversation with the trailer that we saw on Monday. So be you know be prepared for a little bit of hopping back and forth. And I believe we're also going to be a little bit in conversation with the previous appearances of tom holland in in the mcu of course that won't be the focus and for my purposes i'm also going to be in conversation with the other versions of spider-man yes we're a podcast it's gonna fucking happen we're gonna we're gonna tangent so you're gonna listen to us really struggle to correlate all our thoughts on this i tried my best to get it all on, on a little bit on paper on this google doc right here so there's your spoiler warning everyone Please, if you care about this, go watch these movies where, you know, clearly we like them enough to talk into a, <laughs> a live mic about them. So, Joe, opening thoughts. What do you, like? We could start with just Far From Home. What are your <laughs> what were your gut reactions going into Far From Home and leaving Far From Home when you first saw it? So when I entered the film, mm-hmm. first starting with how I entered the film, I entered the film with the thought process of, OK, the the big grievance that there is among the Spider-Man fan community of Tom Holland's Spider-Man is that he is a Peter Parker who does not care about responsibility. Mm-hmm. That That is the big grievance, that Peter Parker is a character who is actually irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And then the second grievance is that Peter Parker is just Iron Man Jr. Yes. In, in these films. Now, I am not... After watching that movie, I don't entirely agree and I don't entirely disagree. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 kind of on the fence on uh, on those two issues. Now, to start with the former, I think it's safe to say that Peter Parker and this incarnation of Spider-Man in the MCU with Tom Holland chooses to specifically highlight that he is a teenager. Yes, he is a fucking kid. Mm-hmm. And so inherently, he is selfish. Mm-hmm. Teenagers are selfish. I know because I was one of them. Now, I was one of them who loved Spider-Man. So to some extent, I can see myself in this version of Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. You know, when we think of Peter Parker and Spider-Man as like a coming of age narrative, I think what the MCU is choosing to do is that Peter Parker is constantly learning and growing Mm -hmm. um, and trying to be more responsible incrementally rather than him learning responsibility and really owning that. Mm -hmm. Because to be honest, even when you read the fucking like, what is it, like 75, 80 year publication of Spider-Man, going on 90 years now he he's constantly trying to be more responsible he's yes. he's never he doesn't really have that balance yeah he's he's a hero in conversation with his heroic uh responsibility not one that took it and ran with it right uh, this isn't captain america you know yeah. yeah this isn't captain america who like embodies his themes in every like story he's in um so that being said what i think tom holland spider-man focuses on rather than the responsibility aspect i think those are underlying tones but i think more so it is about peter loving and accepting himself Mm -hmm. i think those are the themes that kind of shine through and i think the problem and the big issue with these films and especially far from home is that they don't mesh those themes that well together Mm-hmm. They don't have a really good balance or a really good resolution. And so point number one is Peter constantly trying to avoid Nick Fury in Far From Home. He doesn't want the responsibility of actually doing superheroics. He wants to be on vacation and try and kiss MJ. That's that's his main goal. And to yes. be honest, like Peter Parker has those moments in the comic books. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where he's like, I don't want to be Spider-Man. I don't want to do that. I just want to be with MJ. I want to be with Gwen Stacy. I want to be with Betty Brand. I want to be with Captain Marvel for a date. I don't know. <laughs> now, I even think about earlier issues of Spider-Man's comics. Like, Spider-Man refused to join to join the Avengers because the Avengers wouldn't pay him. Yeah. Totally so, fair. <laughs> which is fair. You know, fuck Tony. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> pay your workers, Tony. Yeah. Um, room yeah. and board ain't enough. Now. <laughs> totally. And, and I really want to underscore something that you said there that I think is really pointed in this version, which is like understanding where the conflict in these two movies comes from, right? These stories that we commonly associate with Spider-Man is a little bit of him. I guess this is commonly what people also call the Parker luck or the Parker mm-hmm. circumstance where bad things kind of happen to him. But I think in, you know, in Spider-Man stories in the comics, I'm the most familiar with. I'm thinking of specifically the ultimate run of uh, Spider-Man, Peter Parker. There's a balance between him creating his own conflict versus there truly being an external call to action for him. And I think mm-hmm. the immediate thing we're talking about in Far From Home is Nick Fury, is S.H.I.E.L.D., is these you know greater things asking for his help, right? Demanding that he be something greater than he actually is, which is the, the whole like friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And mm-hmm. that immediate like of course like on the surface i think they do have that level of irresponsibility quote unquote of him not taking that call that being Mm -hmm. said though him it feels distant and it feels like it's missing that kind of key spice of he doesn't have inherently that same connection to it like he does new york right new york or his like small little uh service ground in queens right it's like mm-hmm. that is his area. He's the only hero there. Therefore, it is his responsibility versus like Peter says in this movie. What about the other Avengers? Like, I'm clearly not the only person here. There's so many other heroes at this point. Why can't it be anybody else? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think on the, on the, just the first beat of this, I think it's just that I don't know how much we want this version of Spider-Hall to not just be the kind of like shining good boy that he is because like Tom Mm -hmm. Holland is such, you know, he's so good at playing this kind of like a dorkable teen kind of can do no wrong style persona. And I don't know if that's entirely what I imagined Peter Parker to be. You you imagine a little punk in, in Peter Parker, not a little bit of punk, just someone who's kind of like quickly overwhelmed by all the things he's agreed to do. In that, like, I remember there's a scene in this movie where Brad, the, you know, the other boy vying for MJ's affection, is taking photos of MJ. And I remember thinking in my head, oh, that's what Peter used to do. Remember when Peter was also a photographer? Yeah. Remember when Peter also had to balance being a photographer, being Dr. Connor's assistant, being a student, being, you know, paying rent and doing all these things? And that's not, mm-hmm. and also being Spider-Man, like, that's not kind, that's not here, you know? It's mm-hmm. just being Spider-Man. Which, like, that's not, that is, like, a big ask, of course, but it's Mm -hmm. not, it feels disconnected from his, like, at-home responsibilities. Right. They're an argument that I think, a reasonable argument that I think some, some, um, Tobey Maguire heads, uh, take, which is Mm -hmm. Spider-Man needs to be something of a working-class hero, Mm -hmm. and that adds to his struggles of, like, he constantly needs money, and that's really taken away in these movies. Yeah. Especially with the introduction of Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really interesting, especially in Far From Home, is all of Flash Thompson's jokes and put downs on Peter Parker are actually about his wealth. He yeah. constantly calls Peter Parker poor mm-hmm. and makes fun of him for him for quote unquote not having enough. When he sees like the Edith gla- gl- bougie glasses that uh, that Tony Stark gives him that are actually a you know a, a weapon. What the mm-hmm. fuck, Tony? Exactly um, right. <laughs> um, like it, funny enough, it's in it's in Tony Stark's character to do that, but. But when 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 Flash is is teasing him for like Peter Parker, you can't afford these glasses. They're too nice for you. Like mm-hmm. I'm, it's like when has Peter Parker ever come across poor? The house that he has with with MJ is actually not with MJ with Aunt May is actually pretty nice. It's a pretty mm-hmm. nice apartment. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, so 
I don't understand where that like without that type of conflict, I, it doesn't feel like he's really juggling. Yeah. And I understand that as a a high schooler, you know, that might not necessarily be in the forefront, but there could mm-hmm. be other ways in which you could represent that. Like, oh, Peter Parker is still the smartest kid in class, even though he can't afford the textbooks, something like that. But so I think that that's like a valid criticism mm-hmm. of of these um, of this incarnation. But going back to the responsibility aspect, I think Far From Home does something really interesting with responsibility. Okay. Peter Parker, by default, is the most responsible person, aside from Aunt May, because every adult in this movie is a fucking idiot. <laughs> every single one. Tony Stark, like we just mentioned with the glasses. Nick Fury is an idiot because he's endangering the school. Mm-hmm. He's endangering the kids. He's an idiot because he can also ask for other superheroes too for this assistance and he's mm-hmm. choosing not to clearly um as we learn mysterio is irresponsible mm-hmm. and the constant jokes about the teachers are that they don't really care about the students mm-hmm. the two teachers that are taking them on the tour of europe they don't like the joke is that they they're incompetent and they don't care about the students so we're left with peter who kind of like wants to be responsible in some extent but also wants to be like a selfish teenager yeah yeah, everyone in the I think I think incompetence is kind of the key is the key thing there, right? Uh, <laughs> all the adults in the movie very much have their own agenda going on. Maybe outside of Aunt May, but she just seems very preoccupied with what she's doing. She's just doing mm-hmm. Aunt May things. But it does feel like much like uh, like many Spider-Man storylines, Peter has no specific role model, right? And that's the 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 void that Mysterio is attempting to fill. And even Nick Fury, who's supposed to be much like the entire heir of competence, it's revealed at the end of the movie that, of course, he's the scroll. But, you know, even he feels off, right? He is not Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself, I think, agrees with your point that no, there's no way for Peter to replicate that maturity and that responsibility because there's nobody around him who's demonstrating that, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a result, he kind of gets those wonderful moments where he can really only think in the short term. And like You know, much like many teen, much like many teenagers, and like, you know, we were also once teens, I was also once teen. And like when people keep asking him, like, well, what do you want? What do you want to do? Like, that is such the worst question to ask a kid because like they can't think past fucking next month, let alone like next week. Like, I only want, I just want, you know, I just want to go hang out with the girl I like. Like, okay. <laughs> and that's like a completely valid answer. Mm-hmm. But like all the adults in his life very much don't treat it like it is. Right. So Peter, in effect, has to come up with his own form of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And he finds they play up Tom Holland's inherent earnestness in mm-hmm. his portrayal of Peter Parker and making that his character point in this film. And that Peter finds a responsibility to be honest and earnest. He mm-hmm. has to be honest with MJ mm-hmm. about his feelings and about his identity. He has to be honest with uh, you know when fighting against mysterio Mm -hmm. um because mysterio mysterio is just donald trump in this movie and i you know (laughs) and like y'all may want to turn this off because you don't want to hear a directly political conversation but that is very much within the text of what mysterio is doing he's taken a bunch of people who think and perceive that they have been misguided and then using a form of manipulation, telling them that they're all going to be rich, and then and doing things like putting other people in harm's way, and then re- immediately resorting to killing people. He mm-hmm. says things like, "I'm going to kill that kid," and nobody like nobody is like, "Oh, I don't know if I should take him seriously." And guess what? He's trying to actually murder Peter Parker. He's trying to yeah. put a gun to his head. Yeah. So, and he's constantly talking about how he can manipulate the truth. He is the embodiment of of um of Donald Trump, and at the end. The embodiment of Infowars and fake news shown by J. Jonah Jameson is partnering with him to spread misinformation. Yeah. You know, least of which is the idea that this movie also has a weird relationship with drones, which... Oh, yeah. Like, uh, to give it a generous read, the idea that they become the tool through which Mysterio can enact his plan does very much feel very pointed in the fact that they are also being used to literally target children at the end of this movie, uh-huh. but also doesn't <laughs> change the fact that Tony Stark, you know, still kind of being paraded a little bit as a hero, even if the movie's like, oh no, but he was still imperfect. Da, 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 da. 
like uh like trans like giving it to Peter Parker to be like, hey, here's my whole army of drones that you can accidentally send to murder someone. This is only the second time Tony has given Peter a murder machine. Remember mm-hmm. Karen? Karen yeah. had instant kill mode. Yeah. Now, <laughs> and that was played off for a laugh, but on the other hand, I think I think John Watts and his direction and, and some of the writing in this film does I think there is like something of an internal malice against Tony. Um, mm-hmm. in spite of mandates to have him in the narrative. I mean, that's my reading of it. I think that's the generous reading of it, but I, I yeah. do think that, no, no, to the point, like, not because I, I want to get too much on, like, the, the, the fan criticism of, like, oh, you know, Iron Man Jr., because ultimately, you know, no version of Peter Parker, every, Peter Parker can exist in all types of different incarnations, what, you know, so on and so forth. And I think that that's why I'm going to pull on the idea that, like, this is very much Parker Industries, right? This is when this was also happening in the comics as well. And Mm -hmm. I think with that and here, the problem with it is that his responsibility is being characterized in this type of self-referential way of being the next Iron Man. To the point where they say that, right? To the point where it's like, you need to be the next Iron Man. That is the responsibility that you are rejecting by wanting to just go out and be like, you know, go out and be with your girlfriend. You know, I mean, the film. Okay, this is where I have my complicated feelings about about this film and this incarnation and that specific criticism. Mm -hmm. I think the film desperately doesn't want to say Peter Parker is the next Iron Man. I believe Happy Hogan says a line like, you're not the next Iron Man. He directly says that to Peter in the plane. Mm-hmm. The problem is the film still cues that he's the next Iron Man when they cut to ACDC yes. as, he's creating, as he's creating the suit. That scene is poorly written and poorly executed. Yes. It is conflicting in multiple fronts. What's interesting is that we, we get this musical cue of something we associate with Iron Man, when I think I've come to realize I associate Tom Holland's Spider-Man with the Ramones. Mm-hmm. I now associate Tom Holland's Spider-Man with the Ramones, and I think that would have been a better musical cue. Or just, I've seen edits of that scene where it's it's Peter's theme instead. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that would feel more true to the interpretation of the comic books of Parker Industries and that would mm-hmm. feel more true to to the theme that the film is trying to profess in which Peter Parker needs to be his own person. It's not just this movie. It's also um, Spider-Man Homecoming. They do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why it, it lands better in Spider-Man Homecoming because he's using his own homemade suit. Yes, absolutely. I, I think Homecoming's a better film than this movie. 100% agree. That's not to say that this is a bad movie. I actually like this movie. Totally. Yeah, I, I want to say just because like, this movie has like 45 minutes. When it first began, I was watching this movie again and I was like, man, the first 45 minutes of this movie, I was like, man, I for, I like, I like this. This is my favorite. Like, this is kind of my shit. Like, seeing like the young adult style, like superhero action of him, you know, going back and forth between like Aunt May's uh, charity, going to the school, that very funny clip show it opens with. Like, still in conversation with what's going on in the MCU, but still allowing the story to be of its own design. And seeing him interact with Ned, MJ, and Betty, like, it's that stuff. I was like, wow, this is good. Like, this, I really like this. Everyone's performance is doing, is, like, selling their lines and doing a really good job selling this kind of, like, uh, this travel story. And then the second Nick Fury shows up and tranquilizes Ned, uh, and then then he meets Mysterio... That's where I feel like the story starts to pick up those familiar, uh, larger MCU problems where it suddenly mm-hmm. becomes about something else, right? Mm-hmm. And like, given like the runtime of this movie, given the structure of it, there's like a double, clar- there's a double climactic peak of t- Peter trusting Mysterio and giving him the glasses, uh, and then him taking down Mysterio and taking back the glasses, right? Yes. And this might be just the fault of trying to do too much in one movie. Mm-hmm. But man, I feel like that shift at the end when he gives Quentin the glasses is that's when I feel like I, this movie really starts to lose me. Yeah, it's because the theme shift. 
Mm-hmm. This is what I was uh, referencing earlier in, in in this podcast, which was the themes about responsibility shift to themes about to themes about earnestness and telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Because this is when Mysterio goes into into his rant with his villainous rant with his team of uh, of film experts who used to work for Stark Industries, mm-hmm. and then. And like some things work when that when that turns around, like, for example, the action sequence when Mysterio like beats up Spider-Man to gain information about oh, who yes. knows about the plot. Fucking incredible. So cool. Incredible. The, the 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 double and triple twist. Awesome. They played with CGI and and real sets perfectly. Yes, they used they used our understanding of recognizing when something is CGI and something isn't. And played mm-hmm. to that really well. That is something the MCU that that is taking a weakness of the of the MCU and making it a strength. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we I think the next great point that comes out of this is actually the relationship between MJ and Peter. MJ gets a bit more agency once yes. this plot twist turns around, and I really like Absolutely. that because the dynamic between Peter and MJ finally feels like something I can connect even more with, mm-hmm. and something I can become endeared to as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Their awkward kiss on the bridge. Fucking love it. I wish more Wonderful. movies had awkward kisses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100% agree. Totally agree. And yeah, like that 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 fight scene, it's not so much a fight scene, but more of like uh, just him facing Quentin. Literally one of the coolest expressions of power that we see in the MCU, right? Literally mm-hmm. like, like one of the most expressive, dynamic scenes that we see while still maintaining a sense of ground level stakes. And also, you know, we talk about, you know, punches not having weight. Peter leaves that fight like fucked up. Like he is, mm-hmm. he is hurt after that fight. Like that's everything that like a good fight should be, especially one where the villain is in control nearly the entire time. And I think that that is like, we want the moment for the hero to fall so that they can have a greater rise. That is that is good. Like that is a solid. That does like, everything I'm asking for. And in complete agreement with with MJ, I love the way that they do the fact that like I was just talking about this in my Robin video last week. In that, God, I love romance options where people feel like friends and mm-hmm. people feel like. like of course, this is only, like best friends to lovers or friends to lovers is not a novel a novel concept but i do think that zendaya and tom just have such good chemistry and the weird way that they're like they awkwardly walk around together to the way they like hunch their shoulders to the way they trail off their sentences in the middle of talking it's all so earnestly awkward and honest to what being emotionally immature but also uh emotionally uh exploratory at the same time is and it is such a cute romance between the two of them yeah i'm going to to have a hot take on this podcast of course i think this film is taking some of those cues from the andrew garfield spider-man movies yes Mm-hmm. Because the best parts of those movies are the, is the dialogue and relationship between Peter and, and Gwen. It isn't perfect um, in those movies, but I think this is a good evolution of that. Absolutely. And those two relationships stand pretty stark between Toby and MJ and MJ's um, relationship, where or Toby McGuire Spider-Man's uh, MCU Spider-Man and then the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man's relationship stand in stark contrast to the Toby McGuire um, films between peter and mj where peter is constantly pining after mj um but of course the external conflicts come in responsibility comes in and mj is a person grows in the background of that film yes. it is it is a hidden c plot of mm-hmm. of mj's growth uh, mm-hmm. it, it also isn't perfect mm-hmm. because mj is constantly waiting around for peter and i don't like that but yeah she does have other desires and those are seen which is great no, totally. And I, I really do want to say, like, I don't want to, like, kind of shit on that version of MJ because I do feel like we, like, we feels like we at times have lost sight of, like, MJ, Mary Jane Watson, Girl Next Door, Party Girl, Girl that Likes to Have Fun. And I think that there's something, or, like, actress. And I think that there's something kind of super cool about that. And I, like, I've just recently watched Spider Man 2 and 3. And I think that there's a, there's a heart to those, to that, specifically Kirsten Dunst's performance of that 
specifically those desires and that want and that like type uh-huh. of character that is not present and like has not really been present in MJ in a lot of recent incarnations I've seen. Like specifically the game where they kind of Lois Lane her a bit, which once again, I love Lois Lane. Do I really want, do, does MJ need to be Lois Lane? I don't think so. And this new version of Mary Jane is also a different incarnation of that, has since become a little bit more weird girl than she has, like, party girl. And once again, I love all of them. I can love all of them. I'm not putting any of them against each other. But it is strange that in that movie, we've seemed to have, like, kind of gotten away from that a bit. Um, even if, Even in, in the same way that, like, we've gotten away from that version of Spider-Man, and therefore, you know, this more earnest Spider-Man with Tom Holland is is romancing a version of MJ that is closer. It's not so much about whether or not will they, won't they. It's more about them just finally getting to the point where they are ready to confess their feelings for each other. It's awkward teen romance, baby. Exactly. Because they, they, they like each other the entire movie. You know, she's liked him since Homecoming, right? And mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's something earnest about that from the get-go. Actually, I mean, I guess I do think that that makes the Brad storyline a little bit weird and out of place. To the point where I think the even movie forgets about it. Then they give Brad that one scene where he's like, It's like, doesn't anyone notice that Peter's being weird and he's leaving at all these times? And then like MJ shuts him down. And I mm-hmm. think that's funny. And to mm-hmm. me, that I enjoy that aspect of MJ. Mm-hmm. I think that is a moment that's led for MJ. Mm-hmm. She literally is, she literally like goes to Ned and says, Let me take this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I really, I really enjoy that. Um but yeah, Brad Brad is a bit of an afterthought and more of, I think Brad is meant to be that incarnate, this ver- film's incarnate of the Parker Lock. Yeah. Like Peter is literally caught with his fucking pants down with Brad. <laughs> mm-hmm. It, I guess it just feels artificial to me. It's like, I know MJ and Peter like each other. Like, I think every single time they interact, that is on display. Like, there is subtext mm-hmm. to their action of like, oh, these two people talking to each other clearly are crushing on each other. And so it's it, what's it, it becomes that I just I am enjoying their flirty space, and then <laughs> when they get to the point where they can confess those feelings, it feels it feels earned because we've seen them in flirtatious moments before. It's not the it's not the will they won't they kind of thing, right? I think the scenes with Brad try to serve the purpose of leading to that awkward teen romance of you you pining after someone else and being concerned about a third party who mm-hmm. you shouldn't really be concerned about. Mm-hmm. It's meant to play upon those, that like realistic um, interpretation of that situation. And, and I found that to be a little bit endearing, but I get where the tension with Brad, it's like, yeah, I don't ever buy that. Um, that, that MJ is going to be with Brad, not like in Spider-Man 2 where you're where you're like, oh, my God, MJ is going to get married to J. Jonah Jameson's son. What the fuck? The first man to play football on the moon. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and while and while we're talking about supporting cast, I want to talk about this, too, because we we've, we've briefly mentioned this before. And I feel like it's worth going into a little bit more here now, too, that the relationship between Ned and Peter right now is akin to Miles and Genki from the comic books, right? Miles Morales and his friend, best friend Genki in the in that incarnation. And they basically took that same dynamic and then just put it in this movie, right? Uh-huh. And I feel like as much as, I you know, I love their dynamic. Every single time I listen, I watch them, and them interact in either movie, I'm like, Joe and I have had this exact conversation where one of us has been this one and the other one has been that one, and we switch all the time. Mm-hmm. Perfect representation of what friends look like. Love mm-hmm. them. <laughs> Love them so much. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the the thing that I'm... The only thing I, I brush up against it, too, is that in the same way that, uh, you know, Peter Parker is a conversation with responsibility and to, like, the, you know, greater plot affecting his neighborhood or his, like, you know, neighborhood defined by, like, his literal physical space and, like, all the people in his surrounding life, Mm-hmm. is there's no conflict between him and his friends ever. And that's kind of where I feel like I'm missing some of that. I don't want to keep calling it Parker luck that like Parker, you know, Peter Parker creating some of his own conflict a little bit. Right. Not so much because, you know, not because out of malice, but just because he's just, he has a lot to be dealing with 
Mm-hmm. And there's never a moment where anybody in this movie is like like frustrated with him, in the right. way in which like you know he could so clearly be frustrated with. Right, and it's something that the Tobey Maguire movie or the Sam Raimi movies that Tobey Maguire are in that does perfectly with um, with both MJ and uh, uh, Harry Osborn. Yes, yeah, and I think that that's why people say that these movies feel like they have very little stakes, right? These movies mm-hmm. don't feel like, of course, like once again. There are, you know, greater external conflicts. You know, there's a there's a beam about to shoot Peter or uh, Ned and MJ and all those people at the end of the movie. But their relationship never feels estranged or never feels strained in any capacity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that in that front, in that realm in which like they're playing in the realm of young adult fiction and interpersonal drama, those relationships have no stakes then. So bringing this to... The trailer we saw for No Way Home. Exactly. You know, I know where you're going. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's going to open up and cause our conflict for No Way Home. I think because Mm -hmm. Peter's identity is revealed, he's finally going to have interpersonal conflict and Mm -hmm. that he can't handle that. He's going to go to Doctor Strange and then so ensues Spider-Verse. So Mm -hmm. I think that's where we're headed. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they're going to play the conflict once the Spider-Verse happens. Mm -hmm. You know? I don't under I I don't know how that itself is going to unfold. Yes, I fear it's going to be one ex- long, ex- like literally like a second and third act of um of nothing but an airport fight sequence in Civil War. Yeah, but we'll see. You never know. Yeah, you know, we we know nothing. We don't even know what the Green Goblin looks like. We don't even know what Electro looks like. We don't even we know for a fact that we've got toby and andrew in here it's happening mm-hmm. they're not telling us but it's happening toby it's was happening. on set toby was on set man andrew was on set we're, we'll see it's another surprise that we're going to get um either with a really shitty movie poster or actually in the movie mm-hmm. um we'll see i just want i know people keep sharing the meme around i want to see the three of them dancing god I do. if that is the end credit scene best movie of the year <laughs> Hands down, all three of them dancing in Spider-Man three. I would love that. Yes, drive that funky soul, dude. Like, <laughs> oh goodness, don't mean this so like just to compare it to Spider-Man because I like I do think that those movies are imperfect. If we were talking about those movies, I would get into those movies too. I do think I wish that that realm of Peter Parker's life just felt like it had more time to breathe because I think much like that. There's a large part of this movie that's just dedicated to that final fight with Mysterio. Like, I think I paused it just before that. And I saw that I still had, like, 45 minutes left in the movie. Or, like, 40 minutes or something like that. And I just remember being like, damn, like, wow, really? That This fight mm-hmm. takes that long? And not that I think it's, like, a bad fight in terms of, like, the choreography or anything like that. But it does just mean it takes up a lot of time. Which I think could also be spent, could be time spent with his friends. Because it does mean that, like, after, you know, Peter leaves, there is an hour of the movie where Peter's not interacting with the supporting cast, which has made the first part of this movie so much fun. Instead, we get Happy Hogan to replace him. Yeah, like, there's there's no reason Happy Hogan shouldn't be Aunt May. Like, I, you, okay, so you and I had the same thought. Okay, yeah, go, okay. go for it then. All right. Yeah, no, I think, it, you know, if if anyone happens to watch, like, Nando V movies on YouTube, he has this thing where he, like, he like one small change, like, he likes to do, like, one small change in an MCU movie or, like, a superhero movie or any movie in general. And if I were to have one small change, it's that when Peter gets beaten up by Mysterio, he doesn't call, um, he doesn't call Happy, he calls Aunt May. Happy yes. still, ho- still up. they still show up in the fucking plane, but... Aunt May is the one who gives him the speech to pick himself back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Aunt May is the one trying to like support everyone and bring everyone back around. Happy could still be an idiot. Mm-hmm. That's I, I kind I enjoyed that humor, but it didn't make sense. Like it still didn't like make sense to, for him to be interacting with those characters. It still felt mm-hmm. odd, but yeah, with like Aunt May being there, like I like, Oh my gosh. But if Aunt May were there, it would reveal to like the supporting cast that Peter is Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, like, would it, of course, need a, a you, it's not a perfect, you can never, like, one for one anything, because naturally the movie is crafted around the single script. But the point is that, like, in this moment of pure vulnerability, and I think this is connected to what we were talking about earlier, right? 
where you know this is this is him trapped underneath the rock in the first one where he lifts himself up right uh-huh. and him in this like super moment of like he's like at his lowest point you know i think tom holland does a great job like showing like him being overwhelmed him crying it's like a good solid emotional beat where you know, peter's allowed to be sad and be in his feelings for a brief moment and if it were aunt may instead of happy i feel like it would help to distance those feelings of like you don't you truly don't need to be iron man too like you can just be peter and like mm-hmm. you know i as you know your aunt the person who loves for you and cares for you am going to be the one to tell you this because also you know what you are first you are a child and you are my child right Mm-hmm. because i also think marissa tomei that first that when it happens in the first movie sells it loves it you know i love it so much yeah when when peter with the accident with the the washington monument and she's upset with him mm-hmm. and it's like his grades are slipping yeah that's a really good scene in homecoming mm-hmm. she she does she does hot mom really well <laughs> yeah and also sells that like she also just recently lost someone very important to her and therefore is like extremely stressed about peter you know being being off uh being off his normal beat and yeah she it, it's a way of having uncle ben be there without having uncle ben be there right like right. that's just how you do subtext right that's just how you do nuance to performance and i think she does such a great job of showing that like concern and care for peter mm-hmm. yes uh, absolutely and like i i just wish she got more time in this movie and you know and it's like much to this movie's credit too that like i i think those childlike vibes like we talked about at the beginning of this you know like the difference between <laughs> the difference between uh, uh toby mcguire running to catch the bus is he still looks like a late 20 something <laughs> running to catch a bus tom holland looks like a baby mm-hmm. and you know i say that as he's our age <laughs> yeah he is yeah he's the same age as us and so is like the supporting cast Mm-hmm. And they, but they all like are cast to look younger. Yeah, and they do. They sell it. I believe they're all high schoolers. Yeah, and they behave in that way. And mm-hmm. e- and I even even think it's intentional because you know the people going to see these movies are generally families. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Joe. I'm assuming it's. I'm, I've heard it happen to several people. But like Tom Holland also gives like is is you know cute and handsome as he is, he also probably gives like moms watching moms and parents watching this movie like. Oh, he reminds me of my son vibes. This is just yeah. like my kid, you know? And I'm sure, I'm, I, I'm assuming <laughs> that that's also happened with you in that, like, my mom would watch this movie, and she has watched this movie, and been like, oh, he reminds me of you <laughs> when talking to me. Because that's mm-hmm. just the vibe the movie's going for, right? Right, yeah. And, and that's another important point, I think, to touch upon, is a lot of the conflict that tends to come from these different um these different warring spider fandoms is like when toby mcguire and, and sam raimi came out the that trilogy it was for a specific generation mm-hmm. it's for a very specific person it's for people growing up in that time period mm-hmm. um and then same with andrew garfield it's for that micro generation and now we've got our gen z spider-man yes yes we do we've got our gen z spider-man and that's fine and mm-hmm. I think more often than not, a lot of the people who are very critical of this Spider-Man are people of not of that generation <laughs> who are looking down upon that. The, these are people who might not enjoy the sense of humor of this film. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. And like I said, like none of this is, as we said at the top of this, we can have nuanced opinions here. I can appreciate all three of our Spider-Men. Do I want to see all three? I want to see all three of them dancing in the black suit to drive that funky soul like (laughs) and i don't think none of them like don't deserve to be there like you know i think they're all they all add their own performance to peter parker and to that credit Mm -hmm. they all still feel like a version of peter parker do it naturally some of them lend towards different themes of course but Mm -hmm. and even the things that like we catch on with with uh you know like with spider holland in particular is like that's like just the fault of the mcu like i said with the mcu is obsessed with dads and the storyline with tony stark still feels like an extension of that that he is like peter parker's dad and that you are like still uh you know carrying the sins of the father 
right? Mm -hmm. And that he is having to do the same thing. And I don't like that. (laughs) I wish that wasn't a part of this movie. I want Peter just to have his own movie. Yeah. And now we're trying to purposefully, they're they're trying to have like Doctor Strange fill that void. Because Mm -hmm. Doctor Strange is a somewhat similar character to how they created Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. um in these movies Mm -hmm. so now dr strange is going to fill that void as being something of a mentor to peter but i kind of hope dr strange is absent after the first act it doesn't really return until the third yeah we just what we're saying is we just want peter to have a movie to himself to to himself to his supporting cast Mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely i don't think we're gonna get the supporting cast as much unless unless and this is a theory and now i'm I'm, now i'm using this podcast as a space to entertain fan theories of course um which we we don't i don't think we do this very often but for this one um you you know the scene in the trailer where peter peter is like being pushed into the astral plane by dr Mm -hmm. strange Mm -hmm. what if his soul is inhabiting other peter's bodies Mm mm-hmm and then those souls get swapped as well. So we end up with Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland's body interacting with Tom Holland's cast. Interesting. Or Toby and Tom Holland's body interacting with Tom Holland's cast. <laughs> we cut back to that. That's a way for us to still interact with those characters, but we get a new perspective on that. That would be kind of interesting. Totally. No, I, I it, it's definitely worth playing and or entertaining the idea of spider-man interacting with all those different casts right Mm -hmm. because like that is like a key thing with each of those movies is they very least do have a very different supporting cast every single time Mm -hmm. hell even the the variations on aunt may (laughs) would be would be worth talking about as a whole right Mm -hmm. i think that's a i think that's a fine theory to to entertain yeah stay tuned next week for darth jar jar um (laughs) I, I like that theory, too. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, but <laughs> but I think we are getting to time. We're getting closer to time here. And I want to make sure that we talk about the main thing from the trailer, which is Doctor Strange telling Peter, you can't keep living your double life, right? Mm-hmm. And I tweeted about this and I was thinking because I was like, I don't think the movies have quite earned Peter's double life enough. And I think it's because of things we've talked about in this podcast where being Spider-Man doesn't inherently create conflict with people in his circles in ways that like, I don't inherently think that that makes a bad story, but it feels weird that this is going to be the inciting incident for this next movie. And of course they could really sell that, like whatever that, that inciting incident is. But mm-hmm. I feel like as it, as it stands right now, I don't see that there because like, right. Because, like, also, like, in the way in which Ned is just Genki, Genki and Miles can't really have a breakup because that would just, like, fundamentally, like, undercut all of everything their relationship is. There's a reason Mm -hmm. Bendis ends that run with them together. Yeah. Like, they are the most important relationship they are to each other. To each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't, like, I'm so unsure about that premise. I'm so curious to hear your thoughts as well, like, watching this movie... And, like, watching this movie and watching that trailer, what you think of specifically that premise of, like, you can't keep living this double life. Also, maybe your brand new day thoughts. Ah, uh, yes. They're, they're, you know, people are going to cry Mephisto again. Um, <laughs> I know, right? And, like, I mean, I, I admittedly was, like, entertaining that idea with, with WandaVision when it was first coming out. I was like, this, mm-hmm. this, this is possible. But, and this film... Yes, they're very much evoking the plot of Brand New Day where Peter Parker has to make a choice. He goes to Doctor Strange, he goes to Mephisto to get whatever it is in his life back. He, I think what's going to end up happening is it's going to be a hero's journey where he like travels around to the different Spider-Verses and then decides that he wants to live his double life. I think he's going to decide to live his double life, but then people aren't going to remember. And then that's going to leave like the opportunity for Spider-Holland to exit the MCU because contracts are up. Interesting. Yeah, I that's my theory. But I agree with you. I don't think I agree. I don't think these Spider-Man movies have really sold the idea of Peter's double life being a true conflict. Mm-hmm. Homecoming, once again, more so than 
Far From Home. Yes. Um, Far From Home kind of makes a joke out of it. I'm remembering the first scene where Peter is entering Italy and he, they like open up the, the suitcase. The lady sees the Spider-Man costume and kind of mm-hmm. just assumes it's cosplay. Mm-hmm. And like that is an undermining of Peter's identity, but it is a weird and I took note of it. I'm like, this is a weird like Superman moment. Mm-hmm. in which people like often like the reason why people don't believe clark kent is superman is because they don't think someone as bumbling or oafish as clark kent could be superman and yeah. so i think it's the same concept of like oh this kid couldn't possibly be spider-man mm-hmm. he must Absolutely. be cosplaying but that undercuts the idea of like peter having any form of tension for his identity mm-hmm. it works for superman it doesn't work for spider-man because Superman's identity isn't like his conflict. His conflict is whether or not he can overcome this force and still care about the people he cares about. Something that yes. underline that something that kind of underlines Spider-Man. Superman and Spider-Man aren't too dissimilar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, there's a reason why they're like the two po- most popular superheroes in the fucking world. Mm-hmm. Not not just America. I mean the world. Yes. Now, getting back to your point about whether or not this identity. Um, this double this double life is really a point of tension i think the film will probably try to sell it in the first act and i think the film is more once again having at least the trailer for this film because once again trailers are not films um trailers Mm -hmm. are what marketing decides that people want to see in a film and but what i can see from this and what i'm judging from this is they're playing up with the idea that throughout the entire mcu not a single person has a double life. Mm-hmm. Captain America is Steve Rogers, everyone knows. Iron Man, Tony Stark is Iron Man, and everyone knows. Natasha mm-hmm. Romanoff is Black Widow. Thor is Thor. <laughs> yeah. Like, there is, like, th- and that's funny because there isn't, like, Donald, um, Thor's, like, old arts and identity that he ran with in, like, the 70s. Totally. And so I think this is them, like, being like, hey, you're the only character who does this. Maybe you shouldn't. Um, and maybe the film's going to try and reinforce that he should. Yeah. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. My cursed theory right now, because we're just here, is I am so afraid. I hope we go your direction, friend, but I am so afraid we're going to end that movie with Peter Parker saying to the camera, I am Spider-Man. As a, um, as, as a final way to kind of underline that parallel. And I am so afraid it's going to happen. And it's going to be like that moment in Civil War, in the comic book Civil War, where he mm-hmm. does that. Because yes. a lot of fan, fans like anticipate that was going to happen in the movie, which didn't make any sense. But yeah, I could see that happening. That being like the the double, the underlining of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe and maybe the way they do that is like it's an alternate universe. Yeah. yeah. Multiverse shit. Things are bound to get fucking wild. We have Alfred mm-hmm. Molina back. Like We have Alfred, Rami- uh, Alfred Molina, Jamie Foxx, and Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Willem Dafoe is confirmed to be back as Green Goblin. We oh saw the motherfucker. We saw the pumpkin bomb. You hear that laugh? Hell, mm-hmm. even hearing Alfred Molina's like, you know, hello, Peter. Oh my, mm-hmm. I, chills. I had chills, his, dude. His sultry voice. He's just he's back. You know, I I saw a lot of people thirsting for Alfred Molina in that trailer. Hmm. Naturally, and like, I get the. Naturally, I think I get the voice, eh, but like. The, the voice is, the, I would say, like, if I heard that voice, yeah, I'd be like, okay, that's that's a nice voice. That's a nice mm-hmm. Alfred, Alfred Molina yeah. voice. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited. I'm excited for the movie. You know, I, I just hope that, um, my hopes for this movie is that if we're going to call upon Sam Raimi's um, Spider-Man, that there will be some camera work that will reflect Sam Raimi's camera work. Mm-hmm. I hope we get those moments, and we've talked about this, I think, in previous episodes of our podcast. You're maybe, I don't know, this season or last season, but we've talked about how Sam Raimi does some really interesting camera work, especially in playing between laughter and horror. Mm-hmm. And while horror isn't quite something that's known in these Tom Holland movies, there are some fringe aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Like when Vulture first attacks Peter in, in the final act. Of yes. homecoming there's some mm-hmm. horror aspects there's the horrific aspect of um uh, mysterio's um manipulation of reality upon peter yeah 
in that big fight that we talked about. Totally. I don't know if they'll do that again and this time use Sam Raimi's camera work, but we'll see. That's 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 what I want. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's of course like trailers are trailers. We don't truly know. So I, you know, fingers crossed. I'll still see it. I'm sure I'll still like it much like I still like this movie. So I guess like what are your wrap up thoughts on Far From Home and Spider Holland for now? Maybe we'll take the time to look at the other Spider-Man when that when the time gets closer. But what are your wrap up thoughts on Spider Holland and Far From Home right now, Joe? Far From Home is a fine movie. I think it's um, I enjoyed it. I would go so far as to say it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it, it it's it's a good movie that does have a really weird switch in theme and motivations halfway. And that's kind of the narrative of that makes sense when you're playing with like this, this idea of a manipulation, something mm-hmm. of a heist within the film. Mm-hmm. That's okay. As far as Tom Holland and his portrayal of Spider-Man and Tom Holland's MCU, um, Spider-Man, I will say, yeah, he gets the champion belt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think this version of Spider-Man is charming from a teen from a contemporary teenage perspective. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that he is earnest and I am comfortable with having a Spider-Man who is young and therefore perpetually learning responsibility. Mm-hmm. I do wish that these films built upon each other in that mm-hmm. in some in some small way. Mm-hmm. And I wish the idea of Peter Parker finding himself and being an individual of himself wasn't still conflated with modeling Iron Man and Tony Stark. Yes, that that's the fatal flaw. But and that isn't necessarily a big that and that flaw, I think, really does come down for me um, to that to that airplane scene with with happy. Mm-hmm. I think that scene could have been different and that could have changed my entire thoughts around that. But yeah, that the writing and execution of that scene were was too conflicting and therefore poor. So anyway. Um, th- those are my overall thoughts. What about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of like totally agree with everything that you just said. Yeah, like I still like this movie. Tom Holland absolutely gets the belt. You know, he's still Spider-Man in my heart. And I, you know, I in the way in which like I think you're absolutely right. Like this version of Peter can still exist. Like I said, borrowing lots of elements from Miles, I, lo- I love Miles. I love the idea that we have this community where you know spider-man doesn't always have to be the kind of like loner nerd right he can he can have a community of friends and people that care about him and still be spider-man that's the point mm-hmm. you know we're not we don't gatekeep people out of the spider-man community right that's the that's the whole point yeah and so and naturally i still like this even if of course like i don't like the elements of tony stark that are still lost in this movie for the same reasons that i get frustrated with a lot of things the mcu does and so yeah I just, like like you said, I just want to see his supporting cast get to be supported more and for him to be in like full conversation with them the entire movie. And that's like the real thing I want. Just so like we get another moment, like Liz Allen says at the end of Homecoming, where, you know, he goes to apologize to her and she says like, or you say that a lot, what's it for this time? And that feels like, yes. At this point, you are frustrated with this boy who, for you know, for good reason, still like abandoned you on your, you know, your homecoming date. But your motivations make sense. Yes. And this conflict for Peter is is, is nice. That that mm-hmm. we you finally get that moment at the end of, of homecoming that you've been, talked about this entire episode of Peter having multiple external threats. Yes. Some of them caused internally. And yeah. you only get that at the very end of Homecoming. <laughs> hmm Yeah. Even though, like, of course, like, do I do I want, you know, Genki and Peter to ever... Oh, whoops. <laughs> that wasn't even intentional that time. Do I want Ned Freudian and Peter slip. to... Yeah, Ned and Peter to break up? No, I don't. Like, I think, think they're great. I, lo- I love their dynamic, as I said. Mm-hmm. I can imagine a version of them talking on this podcast right now that sounds exactly like us. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really like... I, I still like this movie... I really love that first 45 minutes. It's too bad that, like you said, it just it just switches at that last bit and not in the best way. But who knows? Who knows what we'll see in the future? I'm really happy we decided to take this time for Spider Holland because you know what? You're doing a good job. Yes. Tom Holland, as I'm sure you're listening, Mm -hmm. you're doing great. 
We like you, buddy. <laughs> um, come on the pod. Uh, we'd dude, love to hear your thoughts on Andrew Garfield or dude, Tom, or Toby McGuire. <laughs> that would be the, yes, yes. I would love that. Okay. Well, I think that's gonna do it for us this week on Champion Casters. Thank you all very much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. All right, thank you for listening to another episode of Champion Casters. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want to keep the conversation going, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at champion underscore cast. You can also email us any of your thoughts or questions at championcasters at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd like to give thanks to the following. Shan Theobald for our logo artwork. Adam Renroe for our intro and outro music. Joseph Tomlin for managing our social media. And Michael Ruiz for editing our episodes. <laughs> and I have been your host, Michael Ruiz. You can find me at twitter.com at next underscore entry. And the video essays I write on my YouTube channel, Next Entry. I have also been your host, Joseph Tomlin. You can find me at twitter.com and Instagram at joke Tomlin. That is J-O-U-K-T-O-M-L-I-N. Thanks again for listening, everyone.